Be Christ's church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. He's a good God, amen? Let's, uh, let's ask him to, to help us in the hearing of his word read and proclaimed this morning. God, we need you. We are entirely dependent upon you. You are creator God. You, you just are. You just exist. And Lord, it's, candidly, it's, it's hard to even begin to wrap our minds on the rea- around the reality of who you are. And yet you have, you have so graciously made yourself known supremely in sending your son. And God, you've revealed him in your word. And we're going we're gonna to explore it right now. And God, we pray, Holy Spirit, who authored it, Lord, that you would honor it, that you would glorify King Jesus today. Lord, that you would show us things in ourselves that need to, that we need to be removed, God, that need to be taken from us, God, that you would give to us what we could only have as a gift from you. Lord, we, we thank you for this time around your word, and we pray you you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 17. Uh, we're working our way through the book of Acts. So if you are here and have a Bible, and I hope that you do, uh, turn with me to Acts 17. You say, I, I don't have a physical copy, but I got one right here on my phone. If you would scroll with me to Acts 17, either way, uh, find your way to Acts 17, and we're going to start in verse 16. And as you turn there, I want you to recall from last week that that Paul has been escorted by some new believers out of the city of Berea and on to Antioch because some jealous Jews from Thessalonica made the 45-mile trip from Thessalonica to Berea to kick Paul out of town. And apparently Paul is the main target of their opposition because when Paul leaves, remember he leaves behind Timothy and Silas in Berea to strengthen the church so, so Paul goes, apparently with some new believers, escorted to Athens, which is about 220 miles by land from Berea. We don't know if he went by land or by sea, but either way, it's a pretty good hike. And he gives the believers, when he gets to Antioch, these believers from Berea, who are going to go back to Berea, he gives them some instructions. Do you remember? He, he says to tell Timothy and Silas to join him in Athens as soon as possible. That's back in verse 15. So now Paul is in Athens and he's flying solo. A city, by the way, of massive cultural and intellectual influence in the ancient world. A city, however, which is yet to hear the gospel. So today, in the interest of time, we're we're not going to get to Paul's massive sermon. We're just going to get the the prelude for coming attractions, all right? So we're going to read 16 down through verse 21 as we consider the gospel in Athens, part one. The gospel in Athens, part one. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, 
his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know therefore what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. I want you to see two things this morning. From verse 16, the first thing I want you to see is we need to see idolatry as God sees it. We must see idolatry as God sees it. Before we dive into verse 16, let's consider the city of Athens for just a moment. Athens is known to historians as the cradle of democracy. By Paul's day, though it's been conquered by Rome, the city has retained much of her freedom, functioning much like an independent city. F.F. Bruce describes Athens in this way. He says, The sculpture, the literature, and the oratory of Athens in the 5th and 4th centuries B.C., remain unsurpassed to this day. Athens was, in Paul's day, a leading center of learning. If we were going to describe Athens in today's terminology, we might say that Athens was like a great university city. Merida adds this, Athens was still, in Paul's day, strikingly beautiful. Paul had surely heard about the majestic city since he was a boy. And the boy Paul had grown to be a man, had encountered Christ on the road to Damascus. God had rescued him from his sin and idolatry. And there he is in Athens. He's made it. But he's waiting for Timothy and Silas. He's waiting for Timothy and Silas, most likely, because if he starts to share the gospel and people believe and then people get mad and he gets kicked out of the city, he can get kicked out of the city and leave behind once more Timothy and And Silas, it's a little bit of a strategy on Paul's part to protect the church that begins to emerge in a new place. But while Paul is waiting for Timothy and Silas, working his good strategy, something as we see happens. But before that happens, it's natural to think, right, that he would have wanted to take some time to do a little sightseeing, work his way around the city, see the amazing art and architecture, but But in verse 16, his waiting doesn't lead him to sightseeing, but rather to spiritual provocation. Do you see that in verse 16? His spirit was provoked within him. Provoked means to be irritated or to be angry, and it can also include the ideas of grief and concern. Paul is not rashly angry. He's not belligerent, but there's an inward unsettledness that is coming into his spirit from a sharpened awareness of the dark spiritual realities just below the surface in Athens, and God stirs and provokes within His Spirit. Can you imagine this? If we were to put it into today's 
terminology, you finally take that trip to London. You finally go on that vacation to Paris. You finally head to New York City. You make it to the Big Apple. And when you arrive there, you are not amazed. Instead, your spirit begins to ache with agitation. Because God in that new place, in that new city with all the lights and all the attractions and all the cultural influence, God works within you and He he gives you discernment and you begin to see as God sees. And what, what does Paul see in Athens? He sees that the city was full of idols. One commentator said it's, it's like the city was drowning in idols. He, he was not duped. Paul was not duped by the beauty of Athens. Instead, he was distressed by her boundless idolatry. Idolatry that included both intellectual pride and literal idols. Uh, We learn from history that some said it was easier to find a god in Athens than to find a person. Keener adds this, there were at least 73,000 idols, meaning graven images, in the city of Athens. 73,000 idols. Crazy. Church, we have that many idols in in our world today. They may not be graven images, but... There's all sorts of idols that we're captivated by. I'm here to tell you, church, that humanity's greatest problem is a worship problem. All the problems that you can write down, that you have, that your neighbor has, that whoever else has, at the core, at the end of the day, your greatest problem, my greatest problem, is a worship problem. What is God's first command out of the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. Jesus comes in fulfillment of the law and he's asked, what's the greatest law? And what does he say? The first and greatest command is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Church, when we get the issue of worship settled, obedience is not drudgery but delight because it's an act of devotion and love and worship for the one who came to rescue us. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Obedience to our God and King flows from a heart that loves and delights to worship Him. The problem in Athens and the problem in Roanoke are the same. There is not a lack of worship in this city. There's a la- there is a wrong worship that pervades the city. Left to ourselves, we love and worship the wrong things. And while we may not see many physical idols in Roanoke, Virginia, we too are a city full of idols. Idols of human intellect and achievement. Idols of career and educational achievement. Idols of financial success and security. Idols of physical fitness and superiority. Idols of hobbies and leisure. Idols of family and familiarity. Idols of comfort and custom. Idols of fame and fitting in, whether it's at the office or online. And as Paul walks through Athens, he sees a city captivated by idols, and he is provoked in his spirit. Stott says this, Paul's abhorrence of idolatry aroused within him deep stirrings of jealousy, listen to this, for the name of God. 
God who sent his son and bought him and rescued him at the high price of the blood of Christ. God is not an anything goes, whatever you want to believe kind of God. It is God or else. Exodus 34, 14, the Lord says, You shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 18, Moses tells the Israelites that their idolatry with the golden calf. You remember the golden calf? Moses is up on the mountain hearing from God, and he comes down. He's like, just wait for me. He comes down, and they have taken off their gold and made a calf out of gold and begun to worship it. And Moses says this in Deuteronomy 9.18, that their idolatry provoked the Lord to anger. Same word that we see happening in Paul's spirit here. Isaiah 42, verse 8, the Lord says this, I am the Lord. That's, that's Yahweh. I am Yahweh. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, listen to this, nor my praise to graven images. God will not give his praise. God will not give his glory to your career. God will not give over his glory to your family. God will not give over his glory to your house. God will not give over his glory to your hobby or your car or your comfort or any of those other things. You say, that sounds harsh. Jesus said, if you don't hate your mother and father, you can't follow me. Some of you, well, I'll follow Jesus as long as mom and dad are nearby. I'll follow Jesus as long as my kids are always close. Where is that in the Bible? We are training up champions for Jesus to to go to the ends of the earth, to go to the nations, to go to lost neighborhoods with the gospel. What do you have that if you lost it, you wouldn't follow God anymore? God says, I won't give my glory to another. And in Athens, Paul sees graven images everywhere, and he is disturbed because God is so disrespected. And that leads him, as we see in verse 17, to speak up. It doesn't lead him to to go around yelling at people, right? Being angry. He's, He's agitated in his spirit because God is disrespected, and the answer is not to get angry with a bunch of people, but instead to speak the gospel I love what Stott says. He says, we don't speak like Paul because we don't feel like Paul. And this is because we don't see like Paul. We don't speak like Paul because we don't feel like Paul. And we don't feel like Paul because we don't see like Paul. So my prayer for our church is that we would begin to see like Paul. That we would first, this, this is a prayer that I've written down for us this morning in response to verse 16. God, help us see first the idols in our own lives. And as Colossians 3 says, to put them to death. Mortify whatever it is in my heart. Put to death whatever it is in my heart that is a rival for my allegiance to King Jesus. God, kill it in me first. And then second, help us to see the idols that so infuse and infect our society and our schools, robbing you of the glory that is yours alone. And finally, God, lead us to understand. God, help us understand what is at stake when people are trapped in idolatry, when they miss out on the blessing of knowing and worshiping and serving you, when your name is profane because you are the one, the true, the living, the only God. And God, help us not just to see like Paul, but then to confront idolatry by announcing your glory and your goodness and your fame by speaking the gospel, which is exactly what Paul does in 17 through 21. 
And the second point of today's message is this. We must proclaim Jesus and the resurrection to those who are trapped in idolatry and ignorance. We must proclaim Jesus and his resurrection to those who are trapped in idolatry and in ignorance. In, in other city, as in other cities, what does Paul do? He goes to the synagogue where the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles assemble on the Sabbath. And there he preaches Jesus from the Old Testament as he always has. But, but Luke emphasizes, he stresses, not Paul's ministry in the synagogue, but Paul's ministry in the marketplace. He reasoned, just like he did in Thessalonica in verse 2. He reasoned, he made arguments for Jesus every day, meaning every single day with those who happened to be there. Verse 17, did you notice that he would share the gospel with anybody who came by? I, I love that. Paul didn't discriminate when distributing the gospel. We, we ought not discriminate when we give the gospel. Everybody needs to hear the gospel and anybody who will pick up a stool and sit down and have a chat and talk to us about Jesus, we ought to be willing to share the gospel with anyone that God would bring our way who would listen. And that's what Paul does. And there in the marketplace, as Paul confronts the idolatry and ignorance of pagan worship and godless philosophies, he daily announces the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. In verse 18, now in, in my translation it said that he preached Jesus and the resurrection, that's, that's not a great translation. Because when we hear the word preach, we think, well, he had a pulpit, and he got his Bible open, and there was a crowd gathered around. The word there is not preached, it's just shared the gospel with. He announced the gospel to. He told the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. That's what Paul is doing. He's hanging out in the marketplace. Brother Mike walks by. He's not a brother yet. I mean, he is now. But Mike walks by, and he announces Jesus and the resurrection, and Mike's like, Tell me more. He's like, okay. I mean, I don't care that you like Clemson. I'm still going to give you the gospel. <laughs> Paul gives the gospel to anybody that walks by. And Paul goes daily. Why does he go every day? Because apparently every day God is sending somebody who wants to hear more about what he has to say. And let me tell you something. In your workplace, in your school, in your university, uh, wherever it is that God puts you, as long as God puts you somewhere and somebody's willing to talk to you about the gospel, keep going back to that spot. In verse 18, we read that some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers con conversed with him. So there's people coming by and then... The, the intellectual know-it-alls of the city, these two major schools of philosophy that dominated Athens at the time, start to converse with him. And what we begin to see is it's not just Jews who are opposed to the gospel, many Jews who are opposed to the gospel, it's also the prevailing philosophies of the day who often oppose the gospel. Now the Epicurean and Stoic schools of philosophy had been around Athens at this point for about 300 years, 350 years, and they were the predominant schools in the city of Athens, but they saw the world in very different ways, okay? The Epicureans, Kellum tells us, devalued religion. They thought the gods that were out there were disinterested in humanity, and they sought pleasure as the highest goal of humanity. In other words, sure, there's some gods out there, but they don't care about us. We're not accountable to them. They're never going to judge us. Nobody's going to hold us accountable for what we do. So what is the goal of life? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, and nothing's going to happen to us. Big deal. So go do whatever you want to do. Indulge your flesh. Stoics, on the other hand, as Peterson writes, believed 
the human race was one proceeding from a single point of origin. Through logic and discipline, they sought to live in harmony with the natural order which they was believed was permeated by a rational divine principle that they called the logos, or the word. In other words, Stoics were basically pantheistic, believing that there was a divine spark or word or principle that immersed all of nature, including humanity. They didn't see God as a distinct creative being over creation, but he just sort of mixed in it all. These differences in worldview led to very different approaches to life. What you believe impacts how you behave. The Epicureans basically said, if we were to summarize the Epicureans, here's what they would say about life. If it feels good, do it. There aren't any consequences anyway. They would have loved the song, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. The the Stoics, on the other hand, said this, grin and bear it. There's nothing you can do about it anyway. Just tolerate it. And ultimately, both of these worldviews were hopeless and meaningless, leading their adherents to flounder about hopeless. And that's likely why Paul, excuse me, not Paul, Luke, doesn't really go into the major differences between these philosophies. Instead, he just wants us to know that any human philosophy anywhere is going to end up hopeless and bankrupt, and they need to hear the gospel So he shows us how people from both of these perspectives engage with Paul. And what happens in verse 18? Some insulted him and said, what does this babbler wish to say? The word babbler means seed picker. You bunch of seed pickers. I mean, what what does that mean? Like, that's a, who who uses that as an insult? Um, Apparently, seed picker refers to the act of picking up bits of religious or philosophical or theological information that are already out there and kind of putting them together like it's your own package and presenting them as your own ideas. So when they're calling Paul a babbler or a seed picker, they're attacking both his intelligence and his integrity. So so let me summarize what seed picker means. Here's what they're saying. Paul, you don't make any sense and those aren't your ideas anyway. Can I just say it encourages me to know that Paul, probably the most brilliant and effective missionary in history, is called a seed picker. If you've ever been insulted for your presentation of the gospel, welcome to the club and you're in great company. So was the Apostle Paul. Don't let that detract you from sharing the gospel. In verse 18, as it continues, these direct insults of Paul give way to the insinuation that Paul is an outsider. Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. Now, there's at least some truth to this statement, right? Because to this point, the one true God has been foreign to them. God is there, God is present, but they don't know him. But Paul doesn't want God, who is everywhere, even in Athens, even in Charlottesville, to remain foreign to these people. Unfortunately, however, when Paul announces the good news of Jesus and the resurrection, there are some people who think he's talking not about one true God, 
but apparently about multiple gods, at least two gods named Jesus and resurrection or anastasis. So he's talking about Jesus and the resurrection, and they're like, this guy's talking about some gods we've never heard of. They're outside of Athens. They're outside of our knowledge. Who are these gods? Jesus and resurrection. Now, if you're Paul, or if I were Paul, I'd be about ready to lose my mind. I'm trying to preach Jesus and the resurrection, and the gospel is going forward, and you think I'm a polytheist? You, you think I think there's multiple gods? That's crazy talk. But don't miss what happens in verse 19. When I would have been getting discouraged just because of the insults and the insinuation that Paul's an outsider believing in a multiplicity of foreign gods, be encouraged by verse 19. Despite the insults, despite the insinuation, he still gets what? He gets a great invitation. They take him before the Areopagus, a city council responsible for local issues that would arise in the city, and they ask to know, what is this new teaching, verse 19, that you are presenting? In verse 20, they say Paul's teaching includes some strange elements, and they want to know what they mean. And let's be honest for a moment. If you have little to no knowledge of the Bible, if you've grown up in a city saturated with idols, the message that there's one God who exists in three persons, who made everything and who alone is qualified to rescue everything, and who has done so in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that's a lot to take in. So you're telling me that God came down in the person of His Son and substituted Himself for me so that I could have what is God's, so that I could be qualified to stand before God? What is going on? It's a little, it's a little hard to process. So they're asking some good questions, are they not? What, what does this mean? But there's a problem in their asking of the questions. The problem is not that they're asking a question, but, so, but more so why they are asking the question. The text suggests that it, at least some want to know the answers to these questions, not because they want to know the truth, but because they're fascinated by the quest for truth. You ever met somebody like that? They're more interested in asking questions than in getting answers. Man, they just want to fill their head with information, but they don't really want to meet God. Because if you meet God, you're going to be accountable to God. They aren't seeking eternal life life because of their responsibility before a holy God. They just want to become an impressive human encyclopedia. They wanted to become Google before Google. Look at verse 19. What do they ask? May we know this, not just this teaching, may we know this new teaching. Then look at verse 21. Luke adds... All the Athenians and the foreigners spend their time in nothing order than to, nothing other than to say or to hear what? The newest thing. What is Luke trying to help us see? He's trying to help us see, brothers and sisters, that Jesus is not an idea to consider. He is the king to follow. Jesus is not God's plan B. He didn't show up late on the scene. He is God's plan A, and there is no plan be. The Father purposed to glorify His Son through the cross to raise Him up as King of the nations before the beginning of time. Jesus is like a walk-off home run in Game 7 of the World Series. When you get to Jesus, there's no more quest. Jesus 
is like the period at the end of the sentence. We're done here. There is no one else who makes it all make sense. And when you encounter Jesus in salvation, you stop being impressed with your questions and you start living for God who is the answer. But we live in a world that's consumed with what is new, do we not? Everybody got your iPhone infinity yet? Or whatever, what number are we on? Is it 13, 14? iPhone 27? Everybody wants what's new. Everybody wants to know what's novel. Everybody wants to know what's trending. What are the words of our society? How many followers do you have? What's trending? What's new? What's going on? Our world is run by people who idolize not what is true and enduring, but what is new and will soon be replaced. The downside of a world that idolizes the quest for truth is that some don't really want to encounter Jesus who is truth because when the quest is over, they're going to find out they're accountable to Jesus and they don't want to be accountable to anyone. The upside, however, of a world that is always pursuing what is new is this. Some people will talk to you. Some people will ask good questions, even with wrong motives. So this morning, North Roanoke Baptist Church... We live in a world that is consumed with knowing new things. Regardless of why they ask the question, why wouldn't we tell them of our eternal king? In a world that loves to hear itself talk and to ask questions, why don't we tell them we've met the answer? In a world that loves to know what's new, why don't we keep telling them the old, old story? That Jesus alone can make them new. In a world of idols, let's announce Jesus and the resurrection so that many may come to know our one true God. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, we give you praise for your word. Your word is truth and it reveals Christ, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus, you tell us that no one can come to the Father. No one can be accepted by the Father, adopted in the family of God, apart from faith in Jesus, who conquered the grave and the resurrection on the third day. And so, God, we pray this day in in two ways. One, Lord, that if there's anyone here that has not been rescued by Jesus, Lord, that you would compel them uh, to confess their sin and to trust in Christ and to be saved, to be reconciled to God. And God, for our church, Lord, that regardless of the reasons that the people ask for the hope that is within us, regardless of why people want to know about the gospel that we have, God, give us liberty. Loosen our lips to speak it to a lost and dying and idolatrous world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand this morning. However you need to respond to what God has spoken through His Word, we invite you to come. If you want to partner with North Roanoke in magnifying Christ and making God known to the ends of the earth, we would invite you to join with us. Uh, if you don't know Christ, you need to know Him as your Savior. We would invite you to come and trust Christ today as we sing.
glad for God that welcomes you just as you are but doesn't leave you there he sanctifies and sharpens and I am so thankful for every one of you and your attentiveness to God's word today I have several announcements for you uh, and then you will be dismissed first we have a business meeting tonight at 5 p.m. in the sanctuary not the best time to have a business meeting because of Labor Day weekend but our personnel committee is, is trying to get moving uh, on the plan for 
uh, kids ministry moving forward. There are two position descriptions that are available online under Pastors Update. Uh, it's the first Pastors Update that's there. So if you go to About Pastors Update, you'll be able to see both of those position descriptions uh, there. Uh, so if you could come tonight, I'd be grateful for it. And then go enjoy your Monday tomorrow. Um, Next announcement, we got Wednesday nights continuing. I think that's my next announcement. Yes, dinner at 5.30. You still need to sign up for that either in the app or online or using the sign me up card in the chair pocket in front of you. You can just drop it in the black box as you go. Dinner this week is, I believe, barbecue. Yeah, barbecue sandwich mac and cheese. So we'll probably have 5,000 people sign up. Uh, it's good stuff. Uh, Classes continue, and we add a class this coming Wednesday. Uh, we have the Financial Peace University being offered at an incredible discount. Uh, if you've never had the Financial Peace University, if you feel uncertain about finances and how to manage them, if you feel like your money's managing you rather than vice versa, I strongly encourage you to take this class. Brad and Sandy will be outside. You can still register for that. It's not too late. It starts this Wednesday at 6 Actually, it's 6 o'clock, not at 6.30. And then next week, we have our 65th anniversary. We're going to be celebrating 65 years of God's faithfulness to us. We'll worship just like we did this morning at 10.30. And then you will go to the fellowship hall for the food lines. And our deacons will be rapidly flipping this room into a place where we can eat together at around noonish. All right? You're going to need some flexibility on your part next week, but it's worth it. Mission Barbecue next week at noon. Can't wait. And then nursery workers. Uh, we've got a lot of babies coming right now. And if you would be willing to serve in the nursery, even on a rotation, uh, that would be a blessing. Please use the sign me up card to indicate that or use the QR code there in front of you. And I think that's it for my announcements. All right. That was it for my announcements. If you are able, after I pray, to help us stack chairs in groups of eight and to take them into stores, that would be fantastic. Let me pray for us. God in heaven, thank you for your presence with us today. Thank you for the men who are going to serve us as deacons in the years to come. God, for the two that we have ordained to deacon ministry today, Matt and Scott. God, we pray that you would bless them, God, with an abundance of spiritual health. God, that you would prosper their families. God, you would prosper them in their work. And Lord, that as they serve this family of faith, that they would be blessed in it. God, they, they would, they would, their hearts would be filled um, with gospel intentionality. God, thank you for the men and women in this room. God, thank you for our guests. Please continue to bring them back and to send more, all for the glory of Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.